0: Ephesians, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And remember last week we gave the huge introduction to Ephesians and went through mainly Acts and talked about all the different places, uh, uh, these people, uh, and not different places, but the different people that came into uh, their town and, and preached to them. So we had Paul come in there real quick, remember, and then Apollos came in after him. And then Paul came back and he raised up those 12 guys. And the 12 guys started going talking at the synagogue, and they got in trouble there. They didn't want him there anymore, so they went over to the school and started teaching there for a while. And so, you know, it was about two years, three years, I can't remember exactly, but that's how long he was with Ephesus, with the people there in Ephesus. And then he calls for the elders, and then 10 years later is when he writes this letter. So that's where we're at with, the, with this book. And uh, like I said before, that people speculate, and they say that, well, it may have not been to the Ephesians. Um, it was probably to the churches in Asia does it really matter anymore? No. I mean, it was to that area. The, the biggest concern with them is they didn't want it just to be pinpointed onto the church in Ephesus, that they wanted to show that this was a letter that's supposed to be circulated. And like I said last week, well, it looks like it's been circulated because here it is in America now. So it's been passed around. And so there's tons of things we can take from it. And what I had said last week was it's broken up into two different sections. So chapters one through three, if you remember, was about our riches that we have. And Paul really wants to talk to the church in Ephesus and talk about what the riches are in Christ. And what was going on is they had this massive bank account, you know, the spiritual awesomeness that was coming through Jesus Christ, but they weren't using it. They, they were they were either unaware of it or they were just neglecting it. Um, there was this, I can't remember what the lady's name was, but she was a multimillionaire. But she had lots of problems, sicknesses. Her son had to have a leg amputated because she, didn't want, she wanted to find a free clinic. Uh... There's some things that she went through and, because she didn't eat very healthy. Uh, she never warmed anything up. Anyways, she was a miser, okay? Didn't spend any money on anything, but she had everything. And it was just a great example. And I'm sorry I can't remember the name, but it was a great example of what was going on here. They had everything, but they weren't using anything. It was foolishness. So Paul goes through in that first part in the chapters one through three, and he talks about that. And then in, ver- in chapters four through the rest of it, into six, what he talks about is he, go- he gives the application to it. So at first you have the doctrine and what's going on and what we have in Jesus Christ. And then the second part of Ephesians is going to be, here's how you use it. Like this is what it looks like to walk it out. And so it's a really neat book because it's, it's, there's so much in it that just applies to our lives and really informs us in what do we have in Jesus. Why is Jesus a big deal? When every time it says that we're in Jesus, what does that mean? You know, and it, it's so neat in this, I don't know, when you go through and you study it, it just starts peeling back, and you get to see layer after layer, and it goes so deep into what you have, and it gets exciting. And then you get to the second part, and you're like, why haven't I been doing this? <laughs> why haven't I not been living out in those gifts he's given me or in that spiritual blessing that he's given me? What is wrong? And it really goes back, and you can go and check and see what's in the way. What's going on with my relationship with Jesus right now? You know, is there one even? Have I completely gone over to the world, and I've completely just sold myself to them? into the ways of that, or where am I at? And so, I love this book. I'm super excited to go through it with you guys. And we're going to really get deep into it. There's only six chapters, right? But I have 12 studies, just to warn you. All right? But it'll be awesome. So, tonight, if you guys are taking notes, what this one's going to be titled is Predestined. And this is a big topic. I was scared. I was like, I do not want to get into some debate about Calvinism or Arminianism, uh, you know universalism, all that. But I want to inform you guys, and I want to show you the different sides, okay? Calvary Chapel rests right in the middle of the two. We see both sides have apical stuff and spirit and scriptural evidences for the, not completely, we don't side completely with one and go to the extreme of either one of them, but we sit right in the middle. And I want to go through that with you guys tonight and uh, talk about what it is to be predestined and how awesome that is. Well, that's where I want to focus, is that's one of the things we have in Jesus Christ, is that we're predestined. And so it's a neat thing that's happened with us and what God's called us to, and it is awesome and exciting. So let's just pray real quick. Lord, we love you, and we're so excited just to get into your word. I know I am, and uh, Lord, I just want to ask that you just teach your people. Uh, Just completely get me out of the way, and just, you know, Holy Spirit, just speak through me, and and, uh, Lord, touch our hearts, as you always do. Your word just completely just opens us up, and we get to see what's going on. We see our relationship with you, Lord, and if there's anything that we need to come to you uh, about, Lord, that you would um, speak to us and let us know that we do need to come face to face with you, and we need to get some stuff cleared up with you, Lord, and uh, just repent. And Lord, if it's just to see you again in the, in the awesome character that you have, and just to give you praise, that's another just, it's an awesome thing that your word does with us, Lord. And so, I thank you so much for blessing us with it. And uh, Lord, just teach us tonight. Teach us, uh, you know, what you have to say and not what men have to say about these issues, Lord. And so, we love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Let's get right into it. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should by ho- be holy. And without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. And that's what we're going to study tonight, is just verses 1 through 6. And I've i got to stop going to Wendy's before we, we do this. <laughs> I thought that last time, and I'm just like, Whoa. i got to remember that next week, Shelley. <laughs> no Wendy's. (laughs) Yeah, can you get me some water, please, Shelly? Can you get me some water? Yeah, so (laughs) verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Apostle, what is that? Apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that want to take this title on themselves and say, I'm an apostle. Is that the way it goes? What does an apostle look like? Is there a certain thing where, like, if you're you know, some people believe that if you're a saint, you have to have already died, you have to be examined by the church, and then you have to at least have performed two miracles. That's not what we see in there in the scriptures. Well, with apostle, apostle is one who's sent away. That's what it is in the Greek. That's the direct translation of what apostle is. And it really what it is. It's a messenger or an ambassador, isn't it? You know, even Paul says at the time, he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is somebody that represents who they're going for, right? They have a message, and when it says send away, it's actually not being sent away in a bad sense, like go away from me, um, over you. It's, I have a message for you to proclaim, and it's going to be in my name, being that ambassador part. And so that's what's going on, is the, the ambassador taking this message that whoever's giving it to him, the person that's superior or in authority over them. And so with Paul, he says that that's, that's where his identification is, is that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he makes it very clear by the will of who? Of God, right? Because we know when we come into ministry, it's not because we're wanting to do it or we're going to proclaim what we are, what we feel we're best fit to do. It's what God calls us into. And in, in most of the time, it's something we're just like, what? <laughs> I definitely don't want that place. Or, or you know, it's something that he really works in us and we're excited to do it. But it's like, wow, that's a big push. That's a big step for me to go into. And I'm sure for Paul it was. I mean, here's a guy that hated apostles before. He hated every one of them. He wanted to kill all the, the, the people, right? Complete other side, and then all of a sudden he gets converted by Jesus Christ. And now he's an apostle of him. He's an ambassador for him. What an awesome change there, right? And so he says, by the will of God. It was God's will that Paul would be that apostle and give the message. And we have so many neat things that we gain from Paul in his writings and what God did through him. And it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus... And faithful in Christ Jesus. And that's that part of what I was talking about. You guys already know we've talked about it, but the, the, the saints. The saints in Ephesus. Well, like I said, that there's some that, that say that a saint, and the only way you can classify as a saint is a somebody that's actually already died, so you can examine their whole life and see that they lived a holy life and that they at least performed two miracles and that the, it's a canonization is what it is, what the church does, and they deem them a saint. We don't see that in Scripture at all. We don't see that happening. What happens in Scripture is we see Paul always writing to these saints. Well, these guys aren't dead yet, are they? But he says to the saints in Ephesus. And these are just part of the people. These are the people in the church. We know in even more dramatic sense in, in, in 1 Corinthians when he writes to them and he calls them saints. We know that's a bigger one because the, the church in Corinth was pretty, uh, they were a little off. You know, they were pretty messed up in their ways. They were definitely into sin, and he was calling them saints still. So what is that word saints? It's set apart. That's what it is. It's giving us that title of sanctification, being set apart. Because we're in Jesus Christ, we've been set apart from this world. Therefore, we're saints. So if we have Jesus Christ in our heart, are we saints? Yeah, we are because we've been sanctified by him, right? We have been set apart. It's not because of what we've done or some things that we've gone through. It's because of what he's made us. We find our identification as saints because of him, and it all goes back to him. In verse 2, one of my favorite sayings that he always opens it up with in his letters is he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you guys know that he always, he loves to use those two words, right? I look at them as they're twins. He always has those twins together, grace and peace. And every time Paul starts up a letter, except for when he writes to Timothy and Titus, he adds a little bit more in there because those guys are actually pastoring. So he has to give them another word. You guys can go look it up. I won't say what it is, but because I want you guys to go look it out. But when he's writing to the churches, it always says grace and peace. You guys understand that this grace and peace—the world always is looking for peace, aren't they? I mean, one of the big slogans that a guy can set out there to try to get elected or something is talk about peace. Uh, even women, as they're trying to compete for being the most, the best woman in the world, what will they usually say they want? World peace, right? That's just like that's the title. That's that's the cliche that you have to go back to, but the world does really seek after peace, and it's not just on a global sense. But you guys know that individually, people are looking for peace in their own lives. They know something's off. They know something's not right there, and they're looking for that peace. And so they'll go out and they'll try to set other things with that peace. They'll try to look for other words that go with that word, and so we see a lot of different times that peace. uh, We'll we'll see peace and safety, right? Safety is one of those ones that follows. Uh, that's usually in the workplace. <laughs> peace and, we've been safe for so many days. They have their little sign. I actually saw a guy, he was wearing a shirt the other day at the bowling alley when we, when we had that. And he had, uh, it was celebrating so many days of safety. And I was like, wow, they actually made a shirt for it. <laughs> that's That must have been a big thing that they accomplished there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like, God, you scratch marks of the sharpie in another day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another one is peace and love, right? This was driven by the 70s especially. That was the slogan, peace and love. So if I'm going to have love, peace should be right there next to it. That should be one of its sisters or its twin, right? Well, we don't see that. You can have love, but you won't have peace. Isn't that true? I mean, we can have our children love us, but if we don't have the peace of God in our lives, it's still there's something there that's missing. Whether we have love or what the world wants to say, we have love with another person in a superst- you know, superficial stance, It's kind of it doesn't work. That peace is only going to come from one place. Another one that they put with it is peace and security. Yeah, security has always got to follow peace. Uh, Peace and quiet. Us as parents love that one. (laughs) Right? Peace and quiet is a great thing. That's another one of those that you always follows. And then one of the other ones is peace and harmony. Right? A little Christmas time right there. The peace and harmony comes together. But the thing is, is that true peace cannot be experienced without grace. Is that True. And if you look at the letters, he always puts grace and peace, and grace always has to come first. Because unless you've experienced the grace of God, you cannot understand or experience that peace that he brings. Because when we're in enmity with God, when we're his enemy, when we're all ones that don't want to have anything to do with his son, we've set ourselves up against him. And there can never be any peace because we were designed, we were made to have that relationship, to be with him. To have his son over us, to be indwelled by his Holy Spirit. That's what we were designed for. So, something that's designed for a certain thing but used in a different way, it doesn't work, does it? It will fail. And whatever it's been designed to do, if it's not doing that, it will fail. And so, we have to experience the grace of God. And you guys know the grace is, and it has it right here in Ephesians 2 8 and 9. I know this is the awesome verse. "For By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It has nothing to do with what your works is. It is the gift of God in verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the grace of God. And you guys know that peace immediately follows that. And it's such a good thing. So whenever Paul puts that in there, just think about that. Yes, that's so awesome, God. Thank you so much for your grace so that I can experience your peace. Because that's what I was looking. I'm so excited that, you know, the God of the universe would want to give me peace. And it's completely on his account, and he's the one that purchased. Awesome God, isn't he? So, another on the peace word, I I found this interesting because as I was going through, I, I went through, I actually studied on Wikipedia and looked up peace, and one of the things they actually said is that the English version of peace came from shalom, and I didn't know that. I I didn't know that we actually took something from Hebrew. And made it. And now, immediately after they said that, they tried to kind of erase it and say, "Well, then we find these other parts." But it says Shalom, and what it says right after this is Wikipedia. It says to restore. That's their version. Now sh- we know Shalom means very many different things, and it can, you know, it, it's kind of, it has a bunch of different meanings when somebody says it. And but with, with at least with Wikipedia, and we can trust Wikipedia. It says <laughs> to restore, but I thought it was awesome because it's like peace to restore. We get restored that relationship with Jesus Christ, and what an awesome thing. And then it says, so grace to you and peace from God our Father. And I love what he does here because immediately what he does with the church here is he's setting up who they are, they're saints in Jesus Christ. The next thing he talks about their grace, followed by the peace that they have, and he says that it's from God, our Father, and he gives them a very personal person in their life. He gives God as their Father, not God the Almighty or God Jehovah, the Lawmaker, you know, it's God the Father. And it's so intimate, because it's like, you have all these things because your Father loves you. And he gets it very close to us, and then he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you guys know, we've talked about this, that Lord is a very significant title. You guys just think about this. This is a guy writing a letter to another group of people, right? And he uses the word Lord Jesus Christ, not Messiah, not Savior, but he says Lord. And why was that? Because Lord means king, right? It means reign. It means somebody over you, it means authority. And so when he's writing to he's saying, here's God the Father, the one that gave his love and that he sent his son to you, and now let Jesus Christ be Lord over your life. And he's basically explaining the whole grace and peace that he said right before that, isn't he? And it's an awesome thing. that he, It's such few words there, but it's packed with so much meaning. And when you guys go through it, look at all the words that are used here, because you guys remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the men to write this, isn't he? So it's from God, and it's so awesome to rip these words apart and see. Wow, it's so much deeper. It has the exact same meaning, but it goes so deep. It's full of color. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's what he starts off with in his point of what he's going to get. This is like the thesis statement. You guys remember having to write paragraphs and all that in English class? Horrible. Sorry about you, English teachers, if you guys <laughs> are. The thesis statement is basically, you know, it gives you the point of what you're going to go into. And that's what he wants to talk with these guys about, is he wants to talk about the spiritual blessings that they have. And it says, blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That one significant word there, do you guys see it? Blessed us with every. That word is huge, isn't it? Because it's everyone. It's not that we have to succeed or we have to pass certain levels to get to the next spiritual blessing. And I'm afraid that sometimes that's what we end up doing in our life is that we feel that we have to succeed at something before he can actually pour out this next blessing on our life. Or that we can now be ready for what he has next in us. And there is this maturity that goes along, but it's not talking about that with spiritual blessings. These heavenly blessings he's given us. And it's so cool that once we come into Jesus Christ, he gives us everything. Spiritual blessing, every, and that's what Paul was really wanting to show these guys is that you guys have every spiritual blessing, you have it all, you just have to accept it, <laughs> you know, let the spirit lead you and live in it, and so when he says, Bless us with every spiritual blessing, he's going straight to the point it's and it, every is a lot it's it's all uh do we live and this would be a question. Do we live like we have every spiritual blessing? When we honestly look at our lives, do we live like he actually gave us every spiritual blessing? And I'd say no, and it's not something that's like, oh, okay, let's be bummed about this for a little bit and move on. It's something really to look at it and say, why am I not? Because if there isn't something that's taking place, then I already have this. What's going on in my life? Let's check it out and see what's prohibiting and what's keeping me back from this. And so that I can move on and I can accept all these spiritual blessings that he get, he's given me. I think we need to go through and we need to see what are the spiritual blessings, right? It'd be a good thing to know, like, <laughs> hey, what, what, you know, God, what are you giving me? Because it doesn't just say, hey, I want to give you a good word and then you guys can try to figure it out. He has it all in through scriptures. And that's actually, till the rest until verse 14, it talks about a lot of the spiritual blessings. Now, if we were to go through every spiritual blessing... It's, it's a very long list, and so we're not going to focus on all of them. Tonight, we're going to mainly focus on the predestined part. Next week, we're going to talk about all the things that we have in him. So we're actually going to come back a little bit, and we're going to go down through verse 14. And it talks a lot about those spiritual blessings, and it's so awesome because every one of them points back to in him, in him, in him. That we're not responsible to conjure it up. We're not responsible to try to go and discover it or to become good enough to accept it, it's like, man, it's over and over again. It's just in him. It's in him. Accept. Just hold on to it. So, I would say that the if you guys wanted to define it in one way, what is spiritual blessing, I'd say all that is applied to us through Christ. All that is applied to us through Christ. That's a big list. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's been applied to us because of Jesus Christ, isn't there? So in verses 4 through 6, this is where we're going to kind of dive more into the chosen or the predestination. So let's just read it again. just as he chose us in him, there's that in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And there's a lot of words there, and it goes very deep. But I first want to have what it is that there's usually two main viewpoints or two theologies that are drawn from this idea of predestination. And you guys know the big one, right? Calvinism? Calvinism, and we'll go through that, and I'll talk to you guys about it. I'll, I'll give you verses that support some of the things that they say and verses that contradict what they say. And the same with the other theology is Arminianism. And it's kind of like the opposite side. And so what these are, these views are the extremes on both ends. And we'll go through it and we'll explain it a little bit. But it's not so that we can debate and try to argue which one. Because I know that some, they they are into Calvinism. And to me it's like, you know what, go study the scriptures. Great, if that's where God's taking you to, you know, that's where your life is with him. I'm not here to say that this is the way it should be. In Arminianism, the same deal. But you're responsible to go through the scriptures for yourself and determine. And it's a thing that I see that God has not brought up, and he shows both sides of it, I believe, very deeply in both sides in the scriptures. And I see that it's for both men. You know, the guy that completely just wants to live his life as if grace doesn't even exist and kind of do whatever, and it's kind of, he puts those verses in there to be very stern. And then there's the one that's very stern and very legalistic, that he's put the other verses that kind of blow him out of the water and say, (laughs) no, come on, look at the scriptures here. Uh, there definitely is some choice. And so, going into Calvinism. So you have Calvinism, Arminianism, and then you have a Calvary Chapel that's about in the middle. And uh, with Calvary Chapel, I'll just talk a little bit about it. Calvary Chapel, you know, we believe in the security of the believer, right? We believe that a believer is secure in their salvation. Uh, we believe that the perseverance of the saints... That there is this sanctification, this process that has to take place, that this, this perseverance that, that we, we take in the scriptures that we dedicate ourselves to. Uh, we believe that the scripture teaches both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That there's the both sides that we see in the scriptures. Uh, to take one, only one of these positions to the extreme would to be deny some of the scriptures that would teach the opposite. If you truly give yourself to the scriptures and go and look at them without other glasses, and that's the hard thing to do is because if you've been brought up a certain way or you've completely just dove off into a certain extreme, what happens is that you kind of had like these other lens on, other glasses, and when you look at the scriptures, that's all you can see. And so really you have to just enter in the scriptures with the Holy Spirit. That's the big thing. Go in the scriptures with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, just teach me. I want to know what you have to tell me for here. If it leans more towards Calvinism, because that's some things I need to work on my life, let's go there. But I know this is all about Jesus. This is the way we need to go, and it's Him-centered. It's in Him. It's all about Him. And that's what I really believe Paul was trying to bring across here. He was not trying to bring up two sides of theology and have these guys debate about something the whole rest of their lives, which some people do dedicate themselves to. I think it's unfortunate. So, Chuck Smith, you guys know that guy, right? Okay, well, Chuck Smith, he asked, if he was asked, and this is one of his scenarios that I know you guys have all, most of you guys have read this book, right, or we're going through it right now, the Calvary Distinctives. And one of the parts he talks about in this, with this theme, he said if he was asked, uh, how can we reconcile these two positions, right? How he would answer is, I don't. Like, how can you make those two things go together, is basically what he was asked. And he goes, I don't. God didn't ask me to, and God just asked me to believe. <laughs> there you go, you know, it's just, it's, it's in the faith, and, and there's different paths that he'll take each one of us down individually, and we know that, but to strike and just stand firm in that, and not want to be around anybody else, and cause division over that, you're wrong, you are wrong in that, you can't do that, and so let's look at the close, let's look a little closer at these two positions, so Calvinism, here's what Calvinism believes, And what I'm going to clarify is that I'm going to the very extreme of both of these ideas, okay? Because I know that there's a five-point Calvinist, if some of you know what that means, or there's a four-point Calvinist, and it's kind of like you get a little bit not as hardcore. So what I'm saying is these are the extremes, okay? So, Calvinism believes that God, by his sovereign grace, predestines people into salvation. That Jesus died only for those predestined. That God regenerates the individual where he is uh, then able and wants to choose God, and that it is impossible for those who are redeemed to lose their salvation. Okay? That's Calvinism just in a nutshell. And then you guys know the acronym, right? Do you guys, have you ever heard of the acronym that Calvinism uses? It's called TULIP. Okay? Those of you guys that have forgotten what an acronym is, it's where you have the letters going up and down, and then you put a word next to it. So TULIP, here's what TULIP stands for. The first one is total depravity. Or a total inability or original sin. And there are some of these that we completely agree with. And there's some that are kind of like halfway, and it's kind of like, you know, we'll go through that. The U stands for unconditional election. It's not based on the person, but God's will. Uh, limited atonement is the L, and it's particular atonement. And then I is irresistible grace. And then P is perseverance of the saints. Or another way of saying it is once saved, always saved, right? And instead of writing all this down, what each one is exactly, I just pulled up their little deal here. And you guys can look at this. This is on uh, calvinistcorner.com backslash tulip, and this just gives each one. And I'm just going to read through it real quick so you understand what total depravity and unconditional election. So total depravity is sin has affected all parts of man. The heart, emotions, will, mind, and body are all affected by sin. We are completely sinful. We are not as sinful as we could be, but we are completely affected by sin. We agree with this. We definitely do. The scriptures are very clear that every single person is a sinner. And there's scripture after scripture: uh, Mark seven twenty-one, Romans three ten, Ephesians two fifteen, Ephesians two three. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures that will support this. This is one of the points that we definitely agree with Calvinism. The second one: unconditional election. God does not base His election on anything He sees in the individual. He chooses the elect according to the kind, uh, the kind intention of His will, uh, without any consideration of merit within the individual nor does God look into the future to see who would pick him. Also, as some were elected into salvation, others are not. And they give some scriptures, Ephesians 1, 4-8, and Romans nine eleven, and Romans nine fifteen and 21, is the scriptures that they back that up with. Now, we were, this is one of the ones we kind of halfway go on. As far as God does not base his election on anything, he sees the individual. We know that. It's not because I'm such an awesome person that God has chosen me. That's not how it works. God does have his will. We know from the scripture about the potter, right? That he wills to design that pot for good or for, you know, evil. So he's the one that's got it in his hands. He's the one that's dealing with it. It's not because of how we are kind of person. And on the flip side, thank the Lord it's not that way because no matter how bad we have been or are or whatever, he's accepted us. And that's one place we'll differ because we would say that he has died for everybody, And it is our option to select him, to choose him, to accept what he's done on the cross, to accept that payment he's paid for us. The next one limited atonement. And Jesus died only for the elect. And here's one of the biggest ones we disagree with. Uh, Though Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all, it was not efficacious for all. Uh, Jesus, who bore the sins of the elect, uh, or only bore the sins for the elect, Support for this position is drawn from such scriptures as Matthew 26, 28, where Jesus died for many. And what they'll do is they'll focus on that word many. Okay? And I'll go through on some of the counters on this and talk about, it's kind of, it comes down to how you're gonna define a word. It really does. And so you gotta watch that. And so the limited atonement is that he only died for the elect. Those that God predestined, that's the only ones that he died for, which is a very hard one for me to take, especially from John 3, 16 and 17 where the whole context is about the world. And it's very clear that it's for the whole world. And so many of the scriptures they'll use here, it's talking about, it uses the word many. But if you go to the scripture and you look at it, it actually is in context talking about everybody. It's just, it uses the word many. In, uh, In irresistible grace, when God calls his elect into salvation, they cannot resist. God offers to all people the gospel message. This is called external call. But to the elect, God extends an internal call, and it cannot be resisted. Uh, this call is by the Holy Spirit who works in the hearts and the minds of the elect to bring them to repentance and regeneration whereby they willingly and freely come to God. And then they have their verses that back that up. Which, of course, yes, we know that God's grace and as a saved person, I can say that His grace is irresistible in my life. To say that it's only selected for me because He's already predestined, uh, right there, I, I, I kind of don't follow all the way. So. And then the last one, uh, Perseverance of the Saints, and this one, uh, it says, you cannot lose your salvation because the Father has elected, the Son has redeemed, and the Holy Spirit has applied salvation. Those, thus, uh, are saved are eternally secure. And that's another one. of the ones that we would definitely agree with. That in, being in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. No man can snatch you out of the hand. No other guy can come and take you out of that hand, or the enemy can't take you out of the hand. And so that's where we see a lot of these different uh, points that they had. But one of the conflicts in scripture, let's just go through back through the uh, tulip, so the total of to depravity, one of the problems that we have is this is that original or one of the things that they said in the second part of it is that uh it, it's only uh, the people that have sinned it's only the ones that he's called out, but the thing is, is that we look at the prodigal son in luke fifteen eleven through thirty two and it really talks about somebody that's completely lost. it's not somebody that's just kind of getting along and then knows they're elected. I mean, this is a guy that completely just walked away from his father. But yet the father accepts him back, doesn't he? And that one can go back away. That's not a very strong argument. But it's one of those ones that you see completely into sin. Nothing to do with their father. And God uses that example, but then he comes back home. The you and the unconditional election. Um, this one is that he foreknew and predestined. In Romans eight twenty nine. If you guys want to go over there real quick. And I hope I'm not going too fast. I just want to try to get through it. So if you guys have questions, for sure, we can talk about it after. Romans 8, 29, let's start in verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, and watch the order of these words, from who he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed are conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And this would be one that Calvinism may take in that and go with it, but it's hard for me when it talks about the whole order that's there, from he, he foreknew. And when you break down this scripture... In the Greek, like here's the interlinear Greek, which is basically they take the Greek words and put them just on the piece of paper. So it doesn't really go together and flow very good as a sentence, but it goes back to the original. So here's how it would sound in the Greek. Because he who did foreknow, he also did for a point, conform to the image of his son that he might be firstborn among many brethren. And so you look at that word, he foreknew, that's to know beforehand. Okay? And predestined is to predetermine or foreordain. Here's the part that we're not going to understand is that how in the world does all this work together? <laughs> we come to a point where it's, it's so frustrating because we try to blend um, uh, God's sovereignty with our choice, this predestination with man's selection, and we're like, how does that stuff go together? Just like what Chuck said, how do you reconcile this in your mind? And I like what Sean was talking to me tonight. He says that he always looks at it as two friends that are joined hand-in-hand. Hand. They're walking together. They're reconciled together. And that's just the way it is, to try to figure it out. And what I've always looked at, because I've battled with this in my mind, I'm like, Lord, I just want to see it. I want to see it exactly inside on one side and know for sure that's the, that's the right way. And every time it's been so clear that I'm not going to understand it, because the thing is I'm not eternal. I don't know what it is like not to have a beginning. I don't know what it's like not to have an end. Right? I don't understand that. It's something that's beyond my mind. I can't even comprehend it because it's nothing that's even related close to anything we see in this world. So God that is all-knowing, right? He's been everywhere. He's outside of time. I mean, this is something that's so hard for us to understand out of there. All these verses work because it's about Him. And for us to try to battle it over and over in our mind is to waste time, I think. I think it's a great thing to go and study these things, but to just sit there and dwell on it and spend years and years to go and debate and battle. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's God. You're not going to fully understand it. And if you do, you're calling yourself God. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming to complete understanding with him. So, with that scripture, in Romans eight twenty-eight, I just see that he, it's something about God. If he foreknew it, therefore he predestined. It would be foolishness to say that he knew everything but didn't predestine it. Why wouldn't he? It's God. And it's not to take our choice away from us because we still have that choice. The thing is, if you take our choice away from us, how can you show love? If your guys' kids were pre... uh, What is that word? I just lost it. No, uh, like a computer. Program, that's the word I lost. (laughs) Pre-programmed to love you, would it be love? Absolutely not, because they have no choice not to love you. Right? That's the biggest thing, is when our kid comes and says that they love us, or even awesome, I love this, when my kids do something very special that takes time, and and then they deliver that to you, you're like, oh, it's a good, good thing when your kids show, you know, their love to you. And what it is, is that they've chosen to do that, or if they're obeying you, they've chosen to do that. That's that love. You take that away, where is it? How can we show love to God without choice? It just doesn't work. And so, You get into dangerous ground when you say that there is no choice. And I understand what happens with Calvinism is that you want to completely give the glory to God. You want to say it's completely in his hands. Absolutely, it's all about him. I don't even want to touch his glory. He gets all the glory for what he's done. He still does because he's the one that put that heavy price on our lives and he's the one that paid for it. It still is all about him. We just choose to accept what he's already given us. We choose to walk in what he's already given us. And it's not about us. It's us submitting to it, saying, God, I'm going to fall on my face because I am a disaster. I'm a sinner. I cannot get this thing right. I can't get my life right. All I can do is fall before you and accept what you've done for me. Just deliver your son. Give him everything to me. Give me your Holy Spirit, Lord. I want to walk in you now. How is that not giving the glory to him? See? Okay, Arminianism. We'll go through that really quick. What Arminianism believes is that God predestined but not absolute sense, okay? And how they get around that is as they say, rather that he looked into the future to see who he would pick or who would pick him, and then he chose them. Jesus died for all. Uh, each uh, decides if he wants to be saved, and it is possible to lose your salvation. Okay, most of those will agree with on that last one. For sure, we would disagree with that. You can lose your salvation. Here's the biggest point about losing your salvation. If you can lose your salvation, that means you did something wrong, right? You've done bad works. Well, if you've done bad works and you can lose your salvation, then why are you not saying you did good works to receive it? See, with the losing it by bad works, you have to have received it by good works, and we know the Scripture is completely contrary to that, that it is not. And we can go and read it again in Ephesians. It said very clearly that it's not by our works, it's by Him. All we do is we put our faith in Him. We put our faith in what He did on that cross and what He did for us that's all we do and so losing our salvation it it really becomes a fear tactic and and you know really trying to keep people in that place and saying that if you don't do these certain things well you know you're gonna have to probably ask for Jesus to come back in your heart the next week and that's not how it goes (laughs) I mean it is an awesome thing when we have accepted Jesus Christ in our life he comes in and he starts working and it's exciting he gives us that peace and then we're ready to okay, God, where do you want me to go? I'm yours now. Send me. You to, what do you want me to do? And he's all, settle down. You've got to work some stuff out in your life. <laughs> so it's God that works it out. You know, that's his sovereignty. So back to the main theme that Paul was showing the Ephesians. Jesus, it is all about him. And when we go through these scriptures again, look at this. I'm not even in Ephesians. Go back over to Ephesians. I'm ready to read Corinthians. I don't know why I was even there. So verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, Just as he chose us, who? In who? He chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Who was before the foundation of the world? Jesus, right? This was already planned. Jesus, the redemption of the cross, was planned. And now we got to be in that predestination. So, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame for Him in love. It's back to Jesus again. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. <laughs> Do you guys see this is nothing about us? In verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us acceptable in who the beloved is saying it's another way of saying in jesus because he was the beloved of the father wasn't he that all of this comes back and so to go off and to set ourselves in this whole did he predestine me have i been chosen or am i just always not going to be a part of him because i keep sinning and so am i really with jesus am i not it's a, it's a tactic of the enemy to always have us question whether we are with him or whether we're not and always to question the love of god to question his grace is it really sufficient? And the thing is, is that every scripture points us back to it is in Jesus. You have doubts about where you're at. Are you in Jesus? You know the verse in John, it says, abide in him, right? That's what we do. We just have faith and we abide in him. Jesus, I just want to be all about you and I want to be in you, just like these four verses are talking about. And it actually goes clear on to verse 14 over and over again, talking about us being in him. So when those doubts do arise and when we have those conflicts, the thing we need to retreat back to is to know who are we in, who has the work been done through, these things that we're going through, who's responsible for them. And I'm talking about trials. I'm not talking about you, you guys messed up and now you're having to go through the consequences. <laughs> That's not where I'm going with this. I'm saying that there's different things, these, these crises, these things that you've not brought on yourself that are trials that you're having to go through. We retreat back to Jesus, don't we? And even in our sin, where do we go? What did David do when he went and cheated? And he killed that other guy so he could have that woman. I mean, it took a little bit, but he went back to God, right, to repent. So when we're in sin and we've been convicted of God showing us something that's going on in our lives, we run back to him and put it before him and say, you know what, I am a mess again. (laughs) Save me from this, you know, this wretched body. I'm so sick of it. But then again, he's just like, you know what, it's in me. Because of what I did for you on the cross, there you go. You're forgiven. And it's like, wow, I didn't have to go and do some certain thing to get that, re- that forgiveness. I didn't have to go do a bunch of prayers. I didn't have to go into church this many times. I didn't have to go and visit these people. It's, I'm in him, therefore I'm forgiven. And what an awesome thing to look at that grace in that way and that peace that follows that, isn't it? It's such a neat thing what he teaches us through the scriptures. I think we'll just conclude with that and uh, just read verse 6 again. To the praise of the glory of His grace. And that's just turning that glory back to Him by which He made us accepted in the beloved. That He's adopted us. We become His sons and His daughters. And that's where our placement is. And it's awesome that He's done this thing and it's all about Him and these things and this, this uh, eternal blessing that we have that He talked about. That it's in Him that we've been predestined that this was a plan of his. His whole plan was this redemption plan. And what a neat thing that he wants to interact with us like that. But the question to us is, is do we want to interact? Or are we content living the lives that we live right now? Are we content with the place that maybe he's brought us to and that's good enough for us? Or is it one of those things that we've never actually even committed to him fully and we've kind of just, you know, the world's good enough for me. I can kind of hang out in it. (laughs) It's fun to play in it. I mean, I get burned every once in a while, but there's some fun stuff about it. You know, where are we with him? Cuz you guys know, we come into him and we accept where he says in that verse, "Blessed us, blessed us with every spiritual blessing." When we fall into that and we see that, it's like, "Oh, man, Lord, I am so proud to be yours. Thank you so much for your grace. It is all about you. Praise and glory be to you. What do you want me to do?" <laughs> I'm ready, Lord. You know, these things I need to take care of, let me take care of them. I want to do whatever it is so I can be your son. So, Lord, we love you, and we just thank you so much for your word. You are such a powerful God, Lord, and you're so intimate with us. Uh, it's amazing that the God of the universe would even want to reach out to us individually and, and count us as sons. And there's so many different ways that we can look at these scriptures, Lord, and just be in awe of you. Um, just dumbfounded by the way that you've interacted with us, Lord, and that you want to. And there's so many of us that would have different ideas of you, and it wouldn't want to put you in different places, but Lord, your word is so clear in where you are and, and who you are to us, and that we get to be in your beloved. I just thank you so much for showing us what obedience is, Lord, and please just help us as we go throughout this week, Lord, that we can obey you, and Lord, that we can clear things up with you. If things are needed to take place in our lives, And we need to come back to you, Lord. Or we need to get rid of those things out of our lives, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do that. Lord, you put people around us that would be able to help us get there, Lord. And we just thank you so much for your spirit, just giving us uh, Him, just to indwell us and to show us and to point us to what truth is, Lord. And uh, Lord, just guard our minds, too, just from the enemy and the different things he wants to tell us and those lies, Lord. And uh, Lord, just help us be your witnesses. And we love you, Lord, and thank you so much for tonight. Amen.